0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, Episode 27, The Path to Whitestone. I'm John, the executive producer here at Final Show Films, and you can find me on Twitter at John A. Bates. And with me today is Jack. Hey, everybody,
1: I'm Jack. I'm at
2: Alt F4 Gamers on Twitter.
1: And Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy. I am J Thomas411Mania on Twitter.
2: And at, at J
0: Thomas. <laughs> and this episode is starring Orion Acaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talzin Jaffe as Percy Liam O'Brien as Vaxel, Don Mercer as Kayla, Sam, Regalus, Galen, Charles Willingham as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master now that all the excitement of the past few old lady murdering and rock hunting days have passed, it's time for Vox Machina to continue with their hunt of the plotline
2: ah, uh, the Halcyon days I know. yes, <laughs> back when things were simple and people were killed by real people <laughs> <laughs>
0: We pick up with Percival in his workshop underneath legally distinct Gray Skull Keep and the words Darkness, which reveals to us Matthew Mercer's use of a fairly standard trope of black screen with narration opening that tends to have a bit more effect, at least I find, has a bit more effect in tabletop than on screen. I know that it's a fairly standard way to open up a movie for people that don't have ideas about how to open up movies. Uva Ball uses this to great extent in all of his movies. Um...
2: I think that the only way you're supposed to open a movie is a completely uncontextualized blurb of white text on a black background.
0: Yeah, sometimes (laughs) with sometimes with the uh, with an old man that has chain smoked for the past 70 years reading
1: it out. I mean, there is there is one other way, which is to uh, uh, show what happens in the in 24 hours later. Before yes. Start. Yes.
2: Right. Yeah. 24 hours ago. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Which yeah. is a term for that that is escaping me right now. You,
0: you could also go with the Paul W.S. Anderson route of having the main character reading out their diary over the opening credits as sort of uh, uh, extrapolation of the plot.
2: Or the idea of something completely unsubstantiated and difficult to comprehend. script happening, and then a record-scratch freeze-frame, hi, yeah, that's me, you're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation.
0: That's more TV, though, than film, I find.
2: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Usually,
1: I mean, they do it in film a fair amount, too. But it's definitely more associated with television.
0: Yeah, so what we're saying is, there's a series of opening tropes that people rely on. And this is one of them. Although, like I said, I, I do find that it has a little bit more effect in a tabletop scenario because it's not it's not a random audience waking it's not a random audience watching a black screen with voiceover narration it's a person having a dream in this particular case
2: uh-huh
0: um, and which is so yes, Percy's having a nightmare, reliving the death of his family and setting the mood for the rest of the episode, well, trying to set the mood for the rest of the episode. Um, in this dream, we get a smoke. in addition to visions of his family being murdered, we get a smoky vision of some entity rising from the gun Percival has made. And the uh, direct to Percival dialogue uh, you hold your vengeance, Percival. You made it. You only need to take it for yourself. Make the world right. My gift is yours, and your gift shall bring justice. Our bargain stands eager to close. Disembodied spirit of vengeance or something more sinister. There, so we're actually going trope into trope here with the, um, this is a, uh, typically sort of a, like a deal with the devil kind of thing where, uh, a person who has made some sort of pact with an otherworldly entity has dreams in which that entity is basically saying, Hey, you ready to go do the thing that we made a deal for? Good. About time. Yep. Um, Though not that the audience necessarily knows that yet, but if you're familiar with the trope, you're familiar with the implications of the trope. Percy wakes up at his bench, having apparently fallen asleep and made construction in the workshop. Uh, in the workshop, reflects on his dream for a moment, with no idea of how long he's been down there, and begins to head upstairs, only to find Jarrett, their guard, being choked out by something invisible. Which, you know, that's how I like to wake up in the morning. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> We're not going to kink shame you, John, but okay, keep going.
0: <laughs> and initiative is viraled. Uh Percy and Trinket, who is down there keeping Jared company, apparently, engage in combat with some form of invisible assailant. His first shot hitting and setting Jared loose from whatever it was, following up with two more shots that connect with it as well. All the while he's shouting for help, uh, but is not wearing the earring uh, that Vox can not going to use to communicate with each other. Fortunately, the rest of the team appear to be coming back to the keep at roughly this point, and upon hearing gunshots, our ever-omniscient Tiberius tries to begin flying towards the keep, but Matt is trying to keep the scene separate for the moment. Um, meanwhile, a second invisible creature approaches to attack Percy, prompting Trinket to attack it, but missing wildly. As the NPCs are taking their turn... uh, uh Um... Orion makes a point of calling out that he doesn't know what they're fighting this time because he wasn't metagaming this time. (laughs)
1: Uh, (sighs) Yep, that's a thing. Yep.
2: Those are definitely words that came out of someone's mouth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The the group is very proud of him. Uh, Um,. And then are asked also to roll initiative, uh, which begins immediately with Laura trying to finagle a cocked die on the initiative roll, <laughs> which I found particularly funny. This, this, this is like this. I am not metagaming this time, followed up by shit. It's cocked. Can I reroll it?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um with the joke about with the joke about leaving a bear on suicide watch and how they thought Percy was so emo, Jarrett attempted to hang himself. The rest of Vox Machina reach the front of legally distinct Grayskull Keep by the end of their round, not able to get into the fight to the next round. Uh, with encouraging with an encouraging fan the hammer motherfucker from Travis, Percy unloads on the invisible assailant in front of him. His pepperbox misfires, prompting the rest of the group to make ricochet noises at Sam's Prompting these ricochet
1: noises will continue until morale improves. Legally Distinct Grayskull Keep is the name of my Led Zeppelin cover band, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: With his pistol jammed, Percy pulls out his sniper rifle, Bad News, and bludgeons the attacker in front of him. After a notification that hitting things to the sniper rifle may cause a misfire, we move again to the NPCs. It seems these invisible creatures are attempting to kill the carriage driver that Vox Monk had captured previously. The rest of the group now arrive and join in the combat. They learn these entities aren't affected by holy water as Grog crushes a vial in his hand and punches one of the invisible creatures. As Vax runs in to join the fray, Tiberius calls after them what do they look like, showing Tiberius' grasp with the most important details of the moment. Tiberius flies into the fray with both wraiths, with Sam remarking that Tiberius had used a lot of spells in the past day without resting. Uh, Tiberius attempts to, attempts to split a glacial blast spell into two different targets, almost hitting both Vax and Jared at the same time. Um, so I just have a question for both of you. This is both sort of a, both of a writing and a GMing question. How do you feel about reworking on the fly, the mechanics of an established mechanic? Hmm. Because the spell as a, has been represented previously, is a single one directional line that deals damage as uh, deals cold damage to whatever it hits in this particular case, he very quickly wanted to sort of like and and wasn't giving it time to be discussed, just wanted to like get through it, wanted to split that into two separate beams instead of one for no additional costs.
2: Yeah, as far as that goes, like certain systems are a little more forgiving of that sort of thing than others. Like I think uh there's options for certain abilities and such in like mage and things like that, where you can sometimes, depending on the number of successes you get on a roll, hit more targets or things like that, or affect more more things. Um 5E is very rules as writ, I would say, as far as uh as far as magic goes. I tend to and it's very combat focused I tend to if you're in a combat you have opponents on multiple or or two at least two sides spells work as spells are writ now if you're like in a little more of a skill challenge, you might be able to finagle those spells or use it in a particular way. For instance, using something like a glacial blast to say, instead of trying to take out an enemy, freeze up a crack in the hull of a ship so that water quit doesn't rush in as quickly or something like that. I would say you might be able to kind of finagle things that way. But when you're like, Hey, you know, this one thing that I can do that only ever hits one person. Yeah. I want it to hit two people. No. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I'm of two minds about this there. Uh, and it's since it was poses as in these two separate ways, I am a lot more forgiving of this kind of thing in a, in a, uh, in a role playing setting. than I am in a narrative setting Um in a single person narrative storytelling setting, I should say, because role playing is a narrative setting. Um, I am. If it's something that is so obviously like this, like I want to take, yeah, I want glacial blast or Firebolt or or something like that, where it only hits one. There are specific rules in place in D anD D that will allow you to do that. To 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 split a spell, it's a sorcerer um uh, uh meta magic called twin spell. So if you're asking if you're asking, can I spontaneously develop this meta magic feat for this one moment, I'm gonna say no. But for stuff that's sort of outside the box, very rule of coolie, I tend to be okay with it. When it's something that happens in a in a book, in a TV show, in a in a movie, in a narrative podcast, whatever the case may be where all of a sudden an ability develops in a new way and there isn't really ever an explanation for it or the explanation is really lazy that bugs me because that is that is trying to write your way out of a corner that you've painted yourself into and that's annoying um that shows a, a lack of foresight on on the writer and really a lack of caring for the rules of their own system. Um when it's something that's going to make a make a role playing game more fun that's fine as far as I'm concerned. And here again it's sort of the uh, Tiberius is trying to get the get, trying to suddenly have an extra meta magic feat perhaps for only one time but once you establish that precedent, it's really hard to go back. Um, but if it had been something a little bit different, I would have been okay with it.
0: Yeah, uh, I think for me, the most important thing in anything is internal consistency. Yeah. like, I don't, I, like You can be as fanciful and out of the, you can have your rivers flowing up mountains however you want, as much as that drives Jack crazy, <laughs> so long as it is internally consistent within the world. If all of your rivers do that, then that's fine. Something about this world makes that happen. Or if there is a a, a reason that is consistent with other reasonings within the world, that's fine too.
2: Um, Alterations to the geomorphological principles of a given setting are fine as long as they are stated ahead of time and consistent.
0: Yeah. Internal consistency.
1: Um... And
0: when you That's all suddenly, I'm gonna
2: say. When
1: you, when <laughs> this may suddenly, be inspired by a map that has been d- seen recently.
0: <laughs> and and when when you suddenly change that internal consistency, there went Jack. I was gonna say Welcome back, Jack.
2: I don't know what happened. Everybody <laughs> got robot and then I was gone. Hmm? <laughs> you apparently dropped. You were so angry at the idea of rivers flowing uphill. <laughs> <That's your> rivers <laughs> rivers flowing. I, I don't care if your rivers flow uphill, but they better only have flow into one lake and out of it in one direction.
0: Um, but yeah, like uh, when you ha- when, when you have internal consistency and then break that internal consistency, it doesn't, it's not just irritating, it's uh, it breaks the believability. It breaks the 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 buying in that you've done to that setting. Like you can you can put yourself in the mindset of just about any setting, so long as the internal logic runs through. When that internal logic stops working, is when you stop being able to believe it. Um, which is which is which is which is why that is a very, like, people often use the argument of, oh, well, you know, uh, there are dragons and magic in this world, why can't you believe that? It's like, or why can you believe that, but not this? The difference is the dragons and magic have been established as being true yeah. for this world. This other thing that happens was previously established to not be true and is suddenly true. That's where the issue lies. Yep. Uh um, mm-hmm. huh.
1: So yeah, so that that, that that's is- one of my that is one of my least favorite def- criticism deflections of all time. By the way, uh, and there the- are false,
2: equivalent- false equivalencies are bullshit. Hmm.
1: Yeah. well, uh, that one specifically, and Just yes, that right one specifically. Yeah. The wall. This is a world with magic and dragons and whatever the case we're, may
2: right because we're not bitching orb. about the magic and the dragons yeah. we're bitching about the bad composition and shitty writing you're doing asshole oh, <laughs> you hear that a lot in comic books too. yeah i bet you, you do where yeah
1: superman is a you know aliens can breathe oxygen and are you know super powered here on earth who cares if this one and it, who cares if There are, whatever the case may be, some stupid storyline that makes absolutely no sense or art depictions that are biologically impossible or whatever the case is. Like, No, this is established in the world. This is a poor thing or poor choice on many levels.
0: Yeah. And, oh, and and it's and it's an argument that lots of people use and it's not yeah. uh, there are there are situations where the argument is valid. There are no For 100%. instance for instance, um there famously uh the, 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 the actor that plays Sam Tarley in Game of Thrones was approached by someone who said, Why are you still fat? I can't believe you're still fat with all the walking you do. And his response are this is a this is a TV series in which there are literally dragons and blood magic, but me being fat is where you draw the line, right? In that particular case, that argument can be valid because you're getting you're, you, what you're getting caught up on isn't something that is uh isn't anything to do with necessarily internal consistency, but it's a it's a physicality aspect to someone that you don't agree with. Yeah, uh, and and that disagreement is what you're having issues with, not actually anything wrong with the world. Yeah, um, but a lot of times it's used, and, and we all use it. I, I have heard all three of us use that 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 argument mostly in jest, um, but. It's it's one of those arguments that gets used when you don't really have anything else to say.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like
0: you have a point, but this is all I can really say in response.
1: I mean, in well, in terms of this argument, it is it is the the narrative version of what about is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's which not is, what we're
2: talking about, people. Which is
1: infuriating on so many levels by itself before you start applying it to fantasy fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: returning to Tiberius using a glacial blast, uh yes. he he casts it in two different directions, almost hitting both Vax and Jarrett, uh, but instead hitting the the two uh invisible creatures. Scanlon then comes down, dimension doors into per- into Percy's workshop, and then inspires Percy with a rendition of all the single Percy's. Percy takes out the
1: first because of the... Why
0: not? <laughs> t- t- Percy takes out the first of the entities with bad news, almost deafening Vax, then fires at the other entity, deafening Tiberius with blast. Marisha, while attempting to indicate her desire to cast Fairy Fire, was holding the laser pointer in the wrong direction and paid the price. This has been our memo for always be aware of where you're pointing your laser pointer.
1: For real, yo. Uh
0: but she comes down and casts fairy fire on the, or attempts to cast fairy fire on the invisible creature. Um, Grog and Vax then make quick work of the remaining invisible tacker, attacker, Grog smashing with a hammer and then Vax knifing it in the kidneys repeatedly.
2: Here's the question, does an invisible assassin actually have kidneys? Hmm?
0: Yes. yes. Uh, it has things that qualify as kidneys for purposes of stabbing.
1: Okay. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> that is a great answer <laughs> <laughs> i mean well ultimately it depends on the nature of the attacker but yes uh
0: tiberius offers the prisoner a decker sandwich i don't know why uh <laughs> as the party shadow run reference
2: mm-hmm.
0: no it's like a double decker sandwich yeah but without the double i don't I don't know. So isn't
2: it just a sandwich then? Yeah,
0: I I I assume
1: that's what I would call it. I don't like I said I don't know why he does this. Are we asking our characters to make sense at this point because that would be narratively inconsistent, especially since Grog <laughs>
0: then continues to uh bless the the for some reason attempts to bless their prisoner with his bloody holy water infused hand. Uh, Orion makes an arcana check by rolling two dice, which he is then called on and re-rolls quite unhappily at which, well, no, I know I said quote there for some reason and and now I, I just want to talk about BM, bad manners um yep from, uh, I, I'm not sure if we've had this conversation yet on this show about uh, bad manners at the table uh, but when you're playing D&D or any role-playing game, uh, GMs and players, take note, um, there is an amount of—I'm trying to think of the correct term—propriety that is expected— And, and that is not that, nope, not that everyone's going to be nice and, 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 and neat and get everything right and be correct all the time and never make a mistake and never get emotional or anything like that. But there is a thing where you don't, you don't try to cheat. If you have an accident, you admit to the accident and if the game master asks you to resolve something in a way that makes it fair for everyone, you comply. And that's sort of like the general, that's the, that's the general, you know, agreement we all make when we sit it's, down to write storytelling. It's the, yeah. it's
2: the con- consensual social contract.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, so even if you have an, even if you genuinely didn't mean to pick up two dice and roll both of them. If you just were grabbing dice and weren't paying attention, and you grabbed both of them and you rolled both of them, and the GM says, hey, could you re-roll just one of those? Just do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure, you might roll poorer than you did previously. But life will don't the on. game will go on, and that's the contract you've made by sitting down and saying, hey, I'm going to play this game with these people, and we're going to try to have a good time. Part of that agreement is we're all going to do our best to play fair, with the game master being the arbiter of what is fair, at at the very least being the person who has that final say on, hey, you need to redo
1: that thing.
2: Yep. Because at the end of the day, to quote the great Liam O'Brien, this is
1: a game. <laughs> so a game. ultimately when and this is this is something that I, I think I I think everybody who's played a role playing game before has has come across people who have struggled with this concept. And the concept is that D D of World of Darkness Shadow Role playing games in general are not they're referred to as role-playing games, but they're not games in a competitive aspect. Um, and a lot of people come to role-playing games with the mindset of you are trying to win something. I'm not sure what that is. I've never been clear on what that is. I've but trying to f- win D anD D, Jeremy. Yeah, and
2: when you are a player, yeah, that's not a thing. No, <laughs> when,
1: when you are when you, no matter who you are at, at a role playing table, there is someone on the other side of that table. There is I. If you are them, it is the players. If you are the player, it is the DM. Um and there is a tendency for people to think that that is your opponent that's not the case that should never ever be the case except in paranoia which is an entirely different situation <laughs> um, <laughs> when the when 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 computer hmm? the, <laughs> when rule one in the game master's guide is kill the bastards <laughs> then you know you're playing a different kind of role playing game that's but, fair Ultimately, uh, for me, role playing games are, and whether they whether role playing games work, whether a particular game works or not, is based on trust. And whether you trust whether the 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 DM trusts the players not to completely fuck their storyline that they've set up, or not to try and do things that are considered bad manners. And for the players to trust that the DM isn't just trying to power trip and kill them all because he likes killing imaginary people. Um. When that trust isn't there and that trust breaks down, bad shit happens. Without fail. Um, and, and. That's when things start getting competitive and hard feelings come into play and people start just instinctively metagaming and just uh, I have never seen a I've never seen a, a, a situation specifically regarding the game um a fall apart in many, many, many years of gaming that didn't relate to a lack of trust across the table yeah. um, so it, it, if you don't have that and i have always felt that was what the case was here um uh, things are going to get tense, and that's just going to expound and become worse and and uh, et cetera et cetera and also by the way, I think that 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 the word quote was word uh, uh or whatever word processing program you used auto correcting you from quite it did yes <laughs>
0: I was hoping yeah. we could ignore that typo because you, you referenced can see it verbally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I had to try and help. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was hoping we just move move past it.
1: But yes, that was that was supposed to be
0: quite not quote. Anyways. Um so yeah just just bear that in mind whenever you're sitting down a game with anybody there is a there is there is a there is an implicit agreement of i will not I will not cheat, I will not lie, I will not steal those kinds of that uh, in real life from these people mm-hmm. um and in return i you know we will respect each other and we will we will have some level of trust with each other that we will be playing this
1: game for fun yeah and that can be particularly important when you have groups, player characters specifically who come into conflict with each other um there are times and there are times in critical role where a character might steal something from someone and the fan base loses their shit about it um and i Understand that to a degree, but I think the ultimate thing to remember is that this group inherently trusts each other and is okay with that kind of stuff they might get heated in the moment, but they is is okay with it because there is that level of trust there um and it's something that you really really need in a group if you're gonna have if you're going to allow for things like yes if 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 the the party rogue wants to, or if if, if the fire chidassi wild maid sorceress wants to skim off the top of the party funds that the group is is foolishly allowing her to keep, um, <laughs> then uh, you have to have that. Otherwise, people are going to be pissed and assume that that ba- assume negative things from an out of game con.
0: Yeah. Uh, likewise, if you let the thief, if you let the the the, the professed thief of the party, uh,
1: count the coins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're just asking for trouble.
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, and and if and and to leave you with actionable statements rather than just condemnation, if yeah. you are in a position where you're having this sort of an issue, where you're having this little trust issue or respect issue, seek a, a third party find someone else that you, that you trust to, to sort of mediate and, and, mm-hmm. and, and figure that out because it can hurt feelings and
1: it can ruin game groups. I mean, more, like. the, more importantly than ruin game groups, it can ruin relationships. Yep, And that's, in my mind, that is far worse. Yeah, The game is just a game. It's a game that, that everybody may love, but it's just a fucking game. Yeah. Um, the, the, the the actual interpersonal relationships are far more
0: So yeah uh, Orion, or sorry Tiberius fails to identify what they were but Vax identifies the creatures as invisible stalkers uh, They conclude that the stalkers may have been sent for, by the Briarwoods informing Jarrett that their enemies are likely vampires or lichutes uh, Jarrett counters with a request for a pay raise As you would
1: <laughs> As you would <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, the group talk about various protections to put in place, and Vax attempts to comfort their prisoner, Desmond, uh, in the planning phases of this. He asks if uh, Desmond asks if uh, wherever, wherever he is to be kept is going to be separate from Percy, uh, to which Vax responds, yes, and that he has his word of safety. Uh, we may be fuck-ups, but we're not without ability. You have my word, I promise you. In the middle of which Tiberius interrupts with a speak for yourself, which I find to be just a perfect little, like, a statement made with a in-character lack of self-awareness. <laughs> Crap. Um, Tiberius calls Erwin, their elderly Castellan, and then realizes what time it is and so says he can go back to bed. Which is met with a chorus of wow, you're a dick from the rest <laughs> of the party. <laughs> Um, the group then go to sleep, finally getting some rest and waking up with a nice to a nice meal, prepared with food provided from the farmers that they had helped previously. Uh, meanwhile, Seeker Assume has stealthily entered the keep to speak with the group, and he reveals himself as they're eating. Assume begins explaining that he appreciated Keyless assistance, to which Vax apologizes for screwing up whatever Asum's plan was. Apologies are exchanged, and it's revealed that Uriel appears to have been influenced by the Briarwoods as well. Assume also reveals that he is maintaining the illusion to gain a better chance at cleansing Uriel of this influence. The group discusses with Assume the possibility for curing Uriel, a vax stealthing in with Kaelus, a small animal is suggested, a dinner is also suggested. Assume offers his his, um, assistance if their plan is soon, as he intends to head into Wildmount to seek more records and information about the Briarwoods. After a while of discussion and herein a while means an hour and a half uh, the group turns to Percy to see <laughs> what to do uh, Percy with the voice in his head again makes the decision to head to Whitestone and deal with the briarwoods the party agree and they prepare to leave and by prepare we mean shopping and tinkering Percival attempts to make an Archimedes death raid no success tiberius fiddles with magical items scanlon sexually harasses a blacksmith and the rest of the party pre- prepares in various ways Tiberius also buys thirty-five mirrors for something
1: we're not sure what, and we never learn why. I mean, I believe there are, there are a lot of credible I, theories about why.
0: I think he was going to try to make an Archimedes death ray on his own.
1: Yes, and just that never did to be the case.
0: Because that's the only reason why I could think he would buy thirty-five mirrors.
1: Um, yeah, I know the only other thing that I could have thought of as a possibility um, would have been that he was trying, he was hoping to set them up as some kind of weird detection system because vampire myths about vampires and mirrors, But I feel like that's kind of a stretch. Maybe.
2: What do you think, Jack? I'm always just a huge fan of the fact that there's generally an assumption if there's magic in the world, that means I could find anything I could conceivably consider being found at a Walmart <laughs> that doesn't plug in. Because when he goes looking for the mirrors, he's like, yeah, ones that are like a foot or five feet on a side maybe? Yeah. Do you have any idea of the level of industrialization Apparent in the setting that you're playing in because yeah that sort of shit didn't happen until real fucking recently (laughs) yeah but yeah no i remember the first time i was watching through it and yeah the the vampire mirror connection was something that it that occurred to me as well as the um Because there's the whole, you can't see, the reflection of a vampire in a mirror, which some people incorporate into D&D and some people don't. Um, and then the idea of, if you're trying to get sunlight into a room that doesn't have access to sunlight, sure, a couple mirrors can sometimes do the trick. Which, since he was wanting the big ones, uh, kind of made me think that might have been what he was trying to do as well. Make sure that there was at least some level of sunbeam inside every room in Grey Skull mm-hmm. Um which of course only works during the hours that the sun is out. But still, um, or you know, if Keyleth is around and can you know magic sunlight out of nothing.
0: Yeah, I thought, like I said, I thought it was he was trying to do the Archimedes death ray thing because I previously, so. when when Percy had been talking about building the Archimedes death ray. Uh, Tiberius was very intent on letting him know that he didn't have to do that and that he could do it for him.
2: Which also kind of, like, okay. So let's let's talk about party role redundancy for just a minute. I don't know if we've talked about this yet. I don't think we have, no. Okay. So in the real world, from a practical perspective, having party role redundancy is pretty much always a good idea you know if if you're if you're in the armed forces you don't want one medic in the squad because if you've got one medic in the squad that's the guy that's gonna get shot and then what are you gonna do you know you want backups you want backups um and in in role-playing games that can be that can be accurate as well but there's also you have to balance that with the fact that this is a narrative and if one character hogs or can take all the spotlights, then what's the point of having other characters around? So while you might be the party's off-healer, or off-tinkerer, or off-Archimedes' death ray producer, let the main one do that, because that's how constructing a narrative and, and allowing characters to share the spotlight works. Hmm? Yeah. That's my perspective on that anyway. Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: Um, yeah, it, it also it it seemed to me that this whole idea was
2: players toes just because
0: I can I can for, do it too. For whatever reason so, you can. Right. Yeah, and, and well also also because while narratively Percy was failing over the course of a week, m- mechanically rolls wise he had already failed. So Tiber- Tiberius was go- already beginning on the backup, even though narratively he wouldn't know he needed to until they were leaving.
2: But yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's what I think was happening.
2: I think you're right as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways. So yeah, they, 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 he buys 35 mirrors. They never come up again literally never again <laughs>
2: uh,
0: the group finally takes off from Amman and, and, uh, to head towards Whitestone, taking the mountains of the Alabaster Sierras on their way in order to try and approach from the back of the city on On the path they find a sketchy rope bridge spanning a hundred foot chasm at which point Vexalia laments their lack of a flying carpet
1: because of course
0: yeah uh, Vax crosses carefully, spidering his way across, but determines that the bridge is strong enough for the, uh, strong enough for the rest. Uh, he ties a guide rope across regardless of the rest of the party, scaling dimension doors across, and Tiberius flies across with Trinket. Once they all cross, all, once they are all across, uh, they continue on their path through the mountains until a particularly steep area, uh, until on a particularly steep area, a sudden gust of wind blows several members off the mountainside. The party reacts to save them, Tiberius using telcases to catch Vax, and Keelth using grasping vine to catch Scammon. As the group continues on, they hear the sounds of harpies, which prompts Keyleth to dig a cavern inside the cliff for the group to hide in, and Tiberius to uh, make make the remark harpies are worse than their counterpart, the harpers, who are good. At which point, I, I I also feel the need to talk about uh well we've we've talked about this before, but we're gonna bring it back up again. Um, extra planners slash real world knowledge bleeding into characters. The Harpers, for those of you who may not know, are an organization of chaotic good oriented spies and uh, rangers and the like, um, and bards uh, that operate up and down the Sword Coast in Faerun. They do not exist in Tal'dorei, no. So referencing them is a meta reference, which is fine. Like, like yeah. at a table, making meta references is fine. Um but that along with the Archimedes death ray at least in the early sections of the game I find happens a lot and it's, you know for whatever level of enjoyment you're approaching is either fine or not fine but it's worth noting that you know from a narrative perspective, writers out there who might be writing stories
1: based on D&D campaigns those are the comments to leave out well those are the comments to leave out if you're writing stories based on D&D campaigns because Harper's is a copyrighted term and you will get sued by Wizards of the Coast. I mean, there's that. <laughs> I mean, this is that, yeah, that mo- that moment, I mean, and I uh, <clears throat> I think this is something that, that that you were clear on is it's it's clearly referenced as a sort of a joke. Um, and that's fine. That's, that, that's table talk. And the, I mean, the show is so replete with them to the point that, that, that the good people at Crit Rule stats have a weekly meta ref, er, uh uh, meta references post that they do. And it's not a short post. No. <laughs> um. It was, yeah. It's definitely something that you want to that that you do kind of want to be careful about in certain situations, though. Like, make clear that it's a joke, because if you're if you're if you're you know in D and D games, because most D and D settings are connected through the multiverse, even ones like Eberron, where Eberron is very. I think the way they best described it was very well hidden within the multiverse, or is there's still that connection. So if you're making it as, and it's not clear that it's a joke, yeah, if you're making it and it's not clear that it's a joke, <laughs> that implies your character knows a lot more than they're, they're saying. Yep. Although that is that does give me an interesting
0: idea for a game of Spelljammer, where people go from favor, like they're hunting down Eberron. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, alright, we need to find this place. I don't know why, but we do. Space Pirates Ahoy!
2: <laughs> that could be fun.
1: Um, and then you like, get there, and you're like, what? You got Your guys' gods don't just show up for a stroll on the daily? Well, I mean, they
0: might spell jammer because they're literally flying through the astral sea.
1: <laughs> well, no, that was people from Faerun on oh, yeah, yeah. being confused Neither. about the fact. <laughs> <laughs> that their 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 gods don't show up in avatar form just to mow the lawn or whatever an avatar is doing in Faerun at any given. You level.
0: have you know you you have uh, somebody from Faerun talking about how the gods you know talk, talk about that. You've got somebody from Greyhawk uh, muttering about how they're lucky that their liches aren't trying to destroy the world and all that's good in it.
1: Um. And, and, and then and, you have the poor bastards from Dark Sun and and uh, Ravenloft who are like, fuck you all. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>
2: like, <laughs> we don't even get gods. <laughs> we just get psycho wizards who decided, yeah, bleeding the planet dry.
1: That's okay. worth it.
2: And Strahd. <laughs> and Strahd.
1: <laughs> and Strahd is the rational of the <laughs> Ravenloft. Domain it's it's like,
0: have you, it's like, do you have any idea what it's like to live in Barovia? I'm not talking about the adventurers that come through dying to Strahd. I'm talking about living there.
1: <laughs> I just want to have a conversation between a resident of Crin and somebody on Ravenloft where the Crin person is, is complaining about Lord Soth. <laughs> and then the person from Love, Ravenloft is like, "Yeah, you guys had him when he was the nice version of the death knight. He got <laughs> worse once he came to us. Thanks for that by the way. Everything gets worse when you go to Ravenloft." <laughs> uh Anyway, critical role. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's related. Um So, they they's a the group prepare to, to to camp here on the wall. And Tiberius, via misunderstanding of the researcher background feature, attempts to read about liches, but realizes he doesn't actually have a tome of information about that. Uh, Keyleth pulls Percy aside to have a talk, with Scanlan listening in. Uh, Keyleth asks Percival about what's going on, specifically referencing the fight in which Tiberius brutally murdered an old woman, asking about Percival using the your soul is now forfeit line. Uh... Keyleth, thinking uh, she was the only one who noticed the line, wanted to know if there was some (coughs) underlying issue there. In response, Percy reveals that he has an obsessive personality, and that he was just trying to say something intimidating. He didn't really think he would actually kill him with those shots. Keyleth Insight checks Percy and feels like she's really gotten to the core of what he's about, uh, which is where we get to the first in a long series of what I'm going to begin calling... uh, poor decisions made around Percy. Number one, trusting Percy. <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like, like so. I really, really enjoyed this. Is probably one of my favorite moments of this episode. I mean, never mind. Probably this is. Yeah, no, mine, mine um, as well. Mine as well because something that it doesn't come up that often but one of my favorite uh of uh, um uh relationship, relationships within the group is the friendship between Keyleth and Percy and i really like it, it it's good not only because um I think it's one of the most complex relationships in the group because the, they 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 fight and argue a lot but they also very much uh they're probably one of the closest friendships in the group.
0: They're very much sort of a Harry Hermione. Yeah,
2: friendship. they really are. Um yeah, but which one's which? Mm-hmm. Uh Exactly. Percy's, Percy's Hermione.
1: Yeah, no, Percy is 100% Hermione. (laughs) Um, Because Harry is
2: dumb as a bag of rocks. And the chosen one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, but Hermione's also more stable, generally, than Harry is.
0: That's fair, that's fair. Cut them in half and glue (laughs) them. And stick them back together again. (laughs) Hermione's brains, Harry's inability to maintain <laughs>
2: <laughs> get them apart and stick back together again being able to 34. Eat. <laughs> yeah 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 uh,
1: <laughs> but i so Keelith. i think it is fair to say and i don't think i will get any disagreement on this is not one of the most um uh subtle or or um uh, uh, persuasive members of the party at at the very least at this point, and I like the fact that around a lot of the rest of the group and around uh, all of the NPCs, you know, she is very stumbly and and doesn't say the right thing and et cetera. I'm not saying that she she makes the right choice here. I don't remember if that was because of a bad insight or what. Um, but I like the fact that that Keyleth has this sort of easier way of talking to Percy. And and it shows sort of that level of like different group dynamics, because a lot of the time this group is very, I mean, they'll, they'll snark back and forth at each other, but they're very... Um. Uh. I don't want to say one like like one minded because the, when it comes to planning, things go haywire badly. But the, I don't know exactly what the phrase I'm trying to use here, or the the, the term I'm trying to use here. But the, they tend to be all very even keeled with each other, as a word, I guess cooperative. Cooperative, yes. Um. And I don't know why that would be the term you wouldn't. <laughs> Well, it doesn't quite fit, but (laughs) everybody sort of copacetic has the same sort of read on (laughs) each other as everything. And I really like the idea. This really differentiates this relationship that as much as they will go. They will go forehead to forehead, like like butting heads about certain things going forward and have in the past. When it comes down to things like this, I think as different as they are, they, they, they sort of understand and they see things in each other more than the others do. And I always see like seeing that different kind of dynamic, something that differentiates a, a particular relationship in the group from everything else. Um, also, I'm a sucker for scenes in which, in an action-adventure sort of situation, two characters step aside and then talk about their feelings. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and now we're going to discuss emotions. Yep.
1: No, it's,
0: it's a really good scene. I, I, I like it as well. And it, uh-huh. it like i said yeah it's it's the first in a long list of poor decisions, but th- that's not a bad thing no th- that that's a that's very, a
1: very good thing it's
0: a very good thing, and it's going to in the long run make for a very complex and compelling story
1: revolving around percy I mean, said before, characters making poor in character decisions is great for storyline yep. Almost without fail. Especially when that poor
0: in-character decision could theoretically end up with them killed. Yep. I mean, poor decision, not stupid decision. There is a clarification there. Yes. Like, making poor decisions are a decision that you, from the third-person perspective, outside looking in, can see a mile off is going to end badly. But that the person in the moment understandably makes that decision. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, those are the b be- when the player clearly knows they are doing the wrong thing and leans into that. Yep. In terms of moral choices. Yeah. Um Good times.
0: It's that it's that moment where, you know. I've been told not to do this thing all my life, but now at this point, it's the moment where I need to do this. Yep. Whether or not it's going to end up good or bad. <clears throat> uh, Jack, do you have anything to say
2: on this particular scene? As you music- Honestly, no. I think you guys pretty well covered it. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: the group sleeps and wakes up close to noon before leaving continuing on towards Whitestone. As they continue through the mountains towards their quarry, a series of perception checks reveal a large blue serpentine creature crackling with electricity that swiftly makes to block off the rest of the group. And that's where the story ends for today. Uh, So those of you listening may have noticed that we got through this episode a little bit more tighter and condensed of a format than previously. Um previously we were using uh, uh summaries written by others, and now i'm actually just writing this summary, so it 's going to be a little bit more lean and tight for purposes of our discussion
1: yeah uh-huh. so it's plot synopsis difference I mean when you're writing yeah. a plot synopsis to recap an episode, purely recap an episode, you put in all the details, yeah when you're doing it for an analytic purpose. You put in the relevant details. Yeah. So,
0: that uh, going forward, it should be a little bit leaner. it this also gives us room to span off on our various tangents, and we're still under an hour on this. So Right? Why? I know, right? Oh, fuck. Go us.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, that was episode 27. Uh, next up next week, we start... Uh, we, we get into... Uh, Episode 28, The Sun Tree. So, we'll see you all next time. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye.